Mamma Mia subscribers, you've been asking and we've been listening. Now you can get all of your exclusive subscriber audio on Apple Podcasts. That includes everything from bonus episodes of your favourite pods to exclusive segments to all of our audio series. To link your Mamma Mia subscription to Apple Podcasts, open the Mamma Mia Out Loud page in your Apple Podcasts app and follow the prompts or head to help.mamamia.com.au. You're listening to a Mamma Mia podcast. Mamma Mia acknowledges the traditional owners of the land we have recorded this podcast on, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We pay our respects to their elders, past and present, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures. If you want to make Out Loud part of your routine five days a week, we release segments on Tuesdays and Thursdays just for M Plus subscribers. To get full access, head to mamamia.com.au forward slash M plus. That's M P L U S, or follow the link in the episode description. Welcome to Mamma Mia Out Loud, what women are talking about on Friday the 6th of May. I'm Holly Wainwright and I host another podcast called Lowbrow, where this week my co-host Emily schooled me on that time Jay-Z got fly-kicked in a Met Ball elevator by Beyonce's sister. I'm Mia Friedman and you can hear more of me on No Filter, where this week I had something happen to me that's never happened before, which is in the middle of an interview, like a really quite heavy interview, my mind just went blank. And I couldn't think of the next question. What? And I just really ha- it's never happened. And That's I just like had to your say worst nightmare. Yeah. And I just had to say, I'm so sorry, I've completely lost my train of thought. Because I don't have questions in front of me. I've had that happen many times and it is one I of usually the worst can feelings. recover, but this yeah. time usually I can make it seem like I'm just having a big think. And <laughs> I couldn't. And I just had to say, I'm so sorry. Anyway. Okay, I'm Jessie Stevens and I host Cancelled, this week's episode on Elon. Best performing episode thus far, friends. It's a cracker. Says a lot about people's interest in Elon Musk. On the show today, why do we still, this week, with the help of Kim Kardashian, hold up Marilyn Monroe as the most iconic of women? And our best and worst of the week, which involve politics, moving and Mia's new friend date. But first, Mia. A few weeks ago on the East Coast, the clocks turned back for the end of Daylight Savings. And in America this week, it seems like clocks are about to turn back 50 years because the news came through after a leak from the Supreme Court, who decides such things, that the right to legal abortion is about to be taken out of the American Constitution, which is going to mean that all the states can make up their own rules about abortion. And we already know that there are 13 Republican-controlled states who have said they will make abortion illegal immediately under any circumstance as soon as this ruling comes down from the Supreme Court and many, many others are set to follow. So if you don't know, Roe versus Wade, you might have been hearing a little bit about that this week. That's the landmark decision of the US Supreme Court from many years ago, 50 years ago in fact, in which the court ruled that the Constitution of the United States protects a pregnant woman's liberty to choose to have an abortion without excessive government restriction. Seems like a good law to me. Jesse, Hall, agree? In support. That was in 1973. 
But the leak that we saw this week basically signalled that the Supreme Court justices, who have a majority of conservative justices, three of whom were appointed by Donald Trump, are going to vote to overturn it, which means that basically women in America will not have the right to have an abortion. And even though this is what people have been saying might happen for quite some time, ever since the weight of the Supreme Court was stacked towards these anti-abortion conservative judges, it still came as a real shock. Here's Senator Elizabeth Warren reacting to the news. I am angry. Angry and upset? Angry and upset and determined. The United States Congress can keep Roe versus Wade, the law of the land. They just need to do it. I've never seen you so angry. You seem to be... This is what the Republicans have been working toward this day for decades. They have been out there plotting, carefully cultivating these Supreme Court justices so they could have a majority on the bench who would accomplish something that the majority of Americans do not want. So you can hear the emotion in her voice. And what does it mean here? I feel very emotional. I've been thinking this week I have to break up with America because I'm just finding it too emotional to be so invested in a country that can't seem to get its shit together. First they elected Trump. Now they're winding back women's rights to control their own body like The Handmaid's Tale. But what does it mean for us here? Well, it's not necessarily a threat to abortion rights here in Australia. It's actually not a threat. It's actually another country, and I have to keep reminding myself of that. But it has certainly reignited the war between pro-choice and anti-abortion activists around the world because particularly for anyone Generation X or younger, the right to abortion is just seemed something that was just a given, right? Like not something that could be taken away. That's not the way rights work. It's like, what next? Women aren't going to be allowed to vote. Jessie, why am I freaking out? I think it's because it is such a shock, as you say, to see rights wound back. And it reminds us that rights and advancements need to be fought again for every generation. And that's really exhausting. And a lot of people are making, you know, looking at The Handmaid's Tale and saying that's how it feels, that The Handmaid's Tale was, you know, set in the future, not in the past. And yet it seemed like a dystopian historical novel. And that's almost what we're seeing. And the reality is that in Australia, one in three women will get an abortion in their lifetime. Two out of three women on this podcast have had abortions. About 88,800 people have an abortion in Australia every year. And this is an issue of maternal health because there is not a culture, a place, a time in all of history where women have not had abortions. They are ubiquitous. It does not matter your faith. Mm. Women need abortions because women have uteruses. And this is really a matter of whether we are going to save women's lives or not. Before Roe versus Wade, 20% of maternal deaths were a result of illegal abortions. And when women cannot go to the doctor because they are hemorrhaging or they have done something illegal and therefore have no you know, right to access medical care, then you're just going to see women die. And the irony of this being called pro-life is just so incredible because this, the only sure thing about this is that it will cost women their lives. And that is why people feel so, so passionately about it. I mean, I agree. And I, like you, Mia, I've actually felt very emotional about this this week. I think 
it's interesting what you said, Jesse, that we ha- every generation has to fight the battles over again. You're like, really? <laughs> really? Mm. But it's a reminder. What I think this is a reminder of is how much politics does matter, right? We're in the middle grinding away mm. this very uninspiring election campaign here in Australia that we're going to talk a little bit more about later in our best and worst. But we all thought that Trump was over, that that was like some kind of hopefully, fingers crossed, one-term aberration. But look at the damage that was done in that very short amount of time to millions of women's actual lives in America. In that short time that he was in charge and he stacked the court, as you explained earlier, Mia. And so I think sometimes the reminder that you can't take for granted advanced, what many of us would consider advancements is really useful to remind you how much it matters who's in charge. Because the other headlines you might have seen this week is that here in Australia, the Assistant Minister for Women went mm. to an anti-abortion protest in Queensland on the weekend. She went. She to was a, a keynote speaker, in fact. She was. She was a keynote speaker. It was a church-organised, religious-organised event. And she defended her involvement in going as saying that her attendance was entirely consistent with the duties of a minister for women. She said a minister for women should take an interest in and provide a compassionate kind of support to people who face vulnerability in our community. That includes women who find themselves unexpectedly pregnant, but it also includes the 50% of children conceived who are women. So she was saying that her position as Assistant Minister for Women means protecting the unborn women. Now, whatever you think about that, that's, you know, whatever you think about that. I think I'm going to scream is what I think about that. (laughs) I know, right? Scott Morrison said when he was questioned on why one of his ministers attended an anti-abortion protest, he said because it's a free country. Your Assistant Minister for Women, Amanda Stoker, was recently at an anti-abortion rally. Given we're having what's been described as a national domestic crisis violence, why is that what your MPs are focusing on? And do you agree with her views on abortion? Well, on on the latter matter, there is no change to policy on that issue. I'm aware of the reports that are coming out of the United States, but that's in a a different country. So I don't see it really as an an issue here in Australia. Well, people are... Well, it's a free country. And we all know how other members of the parliament feel about abortion. We can, those of us who live in New South Wales, where abortion was only removed from the criminal code in 2019, would remember that our Deputy Prime Minister Barnaby Joyce stood up and spoke in front of crowds and was very vocal about his position in abortion. But that's fair enough, because I think what Barnaby Joyce thinks about what I should do with my body is important. Very relevant. And needs to be heard. Yeah, but this is the problem, Mia. We can joke about this. But if the people that we elect hold this as some of their core values, it's true that it's a free country. It's true that you can attend any protest that you want to. But it also reveals a great deal about your priorities, just as it was in that Catherine Deves conversation we had the other week about the Liberal member whose priorities are clearly about trans issues, as she would call them. And so I just I think it's a reminder to us all. It does matter. It matters what your politicians believe in, what their priorities are, who you vote for. So it's easy to get complacent, but... I want to just take that a bit further about Senator Amanda Stoker. And I'm, look, I'm pleased, don't go and abuse her on her Instagram page. I did a couple of posts about that today. And by all means, I left a comment on her Instagram. You can be respectful without calling people names or threatening them, but making your views known. And I would say the most powerful thing that you can do if you've ever had an abortion or would like 
the right to have one in the future is to just go and remind her that you vote and that you have either had an abortion or would like the option of one in the future. But I think that where I am shocked by this, and I'd never heard her name before, which is ironic given she's the Assistant Minister for Women. When I looked up who was the Minister for Women, which is funny that I had to look it up, and I think you did too, Holly, in preparing for this segment, given that we are prominent feminists, lifelong feminists, and we are both very senior in Australia's only women's media company and what our job is and has been for 30 years is making content for women. It's interesting that neither Senator Amanda Stoker nor Maurice Payne has ever engaged with Mamma Mia or with us personally. But my point is, if you are the Assistant Minister for Women and you are going to a rally that is advocating for women's rights to be taken away, that is an absolute dereliction of your duty. And it reminds me of when Tony Abbott was Health Minister in a Liberal government and he tried to use his position to block the introduction of IU486, which is the abortion pill in Australia, and there was a bipartisan move by women and it always makes me angry that it's just women, but the women on both sides of the aisle banded together, crossed the floor, did what they had to do to overturn his proposed legislation to block it. So. You're right. I mean, whoever would have thought that we would have had to know where our politicians stand on a fundamental right for women. You cannot have equality. This is why we still need feminism and the people who go, oh, I'm just a humanist because I believe then all people need rights. If women don't have control over our bodies, we cannot have control over our lives. So we can never have any kind of equality. I think that the point of health is one that I just can't get my head around because I was seeing all of this. And in fact, I'm going to admit that six, 12 months ago when this came up in the US and they were like, they're going to repeal it, they're going to repeal it. I was like, bullshit, you can't do that. And I ignored those whispers for a long time. But the other voices that you'll hear at the moment, which at first I thought as well was a bit fear-mongering, but then I looked into it and they're absolutely right, is that if you have an ectopic pregnancy, if you are miscarrying... If you are raped. If you are raped. If you're the victim of incest. Like... If you have, I think they call it like... uh, Genetic abnormalities. And infections of any sort where it is medically advised for you to not die, that you terminate that pregnancy, then that's considered an abortion. And so I just don't see how these people at the anti-abortion rallies aren't looking at that going, this is in the best interests of the fetus, of the mother. And the thing is, this has already publicly been decided. So we know that 71% of people at least agree with Roe v. Wade. If you were to do a little thing in the street, 69% people, of Americans like, believe that women should have a that's legal the right vast to majority. abortion. 69%. So what's the job of the Supreme Court, if not to reflect the public that they are making laws for? I was listening to The Daily and there was a line in it about how the Supreme Court, I think it was in that leaked document, basically said, we can't worry too much about what people think. Mm. We've got to just look at issues of law. Exactly. And I was like, that's literally your job. You should be very worried with what people think. The thing is, is it can feel sort of very weedy and political and complicated because obviously this, if it passes, it it puts it back to the states, which is actually how it is here in Australia. We have different rules for different states and that's how it will be there. I just want to make one more point because the other thing that's so infuriating about this debate is it emboldens and empowers 
a small minority of people who feel very strongly about this issue to shout about it, protest about it, abuse women for their choices. I know that as a young woman, when I went to have an abortion, one of the most traumatic things about it was walking past all those and I was going to use a rude word, all those protesters outside the clinic. And I know so many women who've been in that position. And for a lot of us, these decisions are not simple. They're not as easy as, you know, a lot of pro-lifers would tell you. It's as easy as they just throw it away as if it's used to. This is not the reality of women's choices for a lot of us. Emboldening this argument, seeing it all debated again, all over every front page, for, against, all the rest of it, is just so disappointing and kind of traumatizing for so many women. Mm. And I just, I think we just all wish that Donald Trump had never been elected in America. Hi, Mamma Mia Out Loud. This is Meg. I love that segment on Meghan and Harry. And oh my gosh, you guys, particularly Holly and Mia, you really need to add this to your LinkedIn profiles. You are subject matter experts on um, this couple. And I'm actually inspired now. I'm going to get that book. I'm going to read that book. I also think, Jesse, you saying that you've done like 400 podcasts since they announced their deal and they've done one. Oh my gosh, crying in the car. Anyway, loved it. Thank you. One of my favorites. Bye. Move by Mamma Mia is the exercise app for anybody, anywhere. And in case you missed it, we dropped a brand new stretching collection that can be used to improve mobility and bookend your favourite sweat sessions. Mamma Mia subscribers get unlimited access to Move, and we drop new workouts every single week. If you're on the hunt for movement that makes you feel good, head to move.mamamia.com.au and use the code MOVE10 to get $10 off a yearly subscription. This is Marilyn Monroe's dress, and um, it's 60 years old, and um, she wore this when she sang happy birthday to President John F. Kennedy in 1962. I'm hazarding a guess that most of our listeners are across the fact that on Tuesday, Kim Kardashian rocked up to the Met Gala, the big fancy costume party in New York City, organized by Anna Wintour, in Marilyn Monroe's dress. Not a replica. For a few hot minutes at least, she wore the actual real thing, a dress that Marilyn Monroe had worn very famously to sing Happy Birthday, Mr. President, to JFK. Happy Birthday, Mr. President. Happy Birthday to you. One of the things you might not know is that Kardashian, a few days before that, because obviously there was a big rigmarole involved in her getting her hands on that dress, it lives at a museum called Ripley's Believe It or Not, where it's in a kind of safe, locked away with temperature controls and all those things. And she had to go and obviously talk to them. And they gifted her, at the same time she got the dress, they gifted her a lock of Marilyn Monroe's actual hair. And there's a video on Ripley's Believe It or Not Instagram account where Kim Kardashian jumps up and down at the joy of having been gifted this and saying that she will sleep with it every night. She apologises to her boyfriend and says, <laughs> I will sleep with it every night. Okay, this is either really cool or a little strange, but that's who you're doing business with, right? So, <gasps> What is this? That is Marilyn's hair. Oh my God, I'm literally going to do some crazy voodoo shit that I want to wait. And I channel her. This Incredible. is so special to me. Thank you so, so much. Cool. 
Now, quite a lot of people have declared this a little creepy, the fact that Marilyn Monroe's hair was at Ripley's and Believe It or Not. I think Jessie's going to tell us how it got there, that it was at Ripley's Believe It or Not and that it could be given away to Kim Kardashian. But it does represent, in a very literal sense, the way that Marilyn Monroe has basically been picked over for the past 60 years since her death by a culture that was completely obsessed with her then and now. And watching it all this week and all the kind of, there's a new documentary coming out on Netflix. There's been lots of discussion about how she's still the icon for women all over the world. It reminded me of how when I was a teenager, I was obsessed with Marilyn Monroe. I took down at some point, maybe when I was about 15, I took down the pictures from my wall that were all of pop bands and I had instead pictures of Marilyn Monroe. I read biographies of hers. I watched all her movies. I memorized all her favorite quotes and like wrote them out in pen and stuck them on the wall. And I spent hours poring over pictures of her and including when I think about it, in one of those biographies, there was a black and white picture. And you know how in biographies, there are like those two inserts of photos in Mm. the middle and you always go straight to those and look. Mm. And in one of them, they had pictures not only of her death scene, which have become very famous, so, you know, what was by her bed, what was on her bed, all that stuff, but actual pictures of her body in the morgue post-autopsy. And I remember staring at that for hours when I was a young woman for reasons that I can't really unpick, but also that I didn't think there was anything weird or wrong or massively exploitative about that. And see, now I want to go and Google that and look at that photo, and I'm ashamed of myself. I know. But why, why do I? Why this enduring, morbid obsession, now fueled by the most photographed woman of our mm. time, probably Kim Kardashian, still haunt us about Marilyn Monroe? Any answers, you two? I had the same poster on my wall, and it was interesting. I did the same thing. I had pictures of... All my pop star icons and Leif Garrett and Adam Ant and Boy George. I didn't have a very good gaydar back then. Then I took them down and I wanted pictures of Marilyn up there. And I think it was when you think back to that time hole, it was kind of the 70s, early 80s. There wasn't very much glamour out there. Now there's so many different versions of glamour, particularly in the last 10 years, I would say. There's the kind of supermodel glamour. There's the... Kardashian type of glamour. There's all these different types of beauty in quote marks. There's Lizzo. There's a whole lot of different options to choose from. But back then, pop stars and actors then were not glamorous. They were actually all quite androgynous. It was Winona Ryder and it was baggy jeans and Bananarama. So there was something about Marilyn that was the archetypal feminine bombshell that's all I can think the of. The reason that I think there was such a fascination with her dead body is because culturally she probably meant just as much dead as she did alive. Mm. And I think that that was because no one gave a shit about who Marilyn Monroe was or how she felt or even really what she said. And that's why I've always mm. felt so like I've hated this. I've hated the sharing of Marilyn Monroe quotes. I've hated the positioning of her as an icon, as something that women look up to. The Kim thing I thought was gross. Marilyn Monroe Why did you think it was gross? Because I would love to ask Kim Kardashian, what is it? What's with the Marilyn Monroe fascination? I think just because she's... Kim Kardashian's the modern equivalent of Marilyn Monroe in that she is aesthetically iconic. It doesn't really matter what Kim but, Kardashian but that's says. So, it is so dehumanising. It is so objectifying. And she was a woman who, if we know one thing about her, said during her life that she was picked at. 
that everyone wanted something from her and that's like existed in perpetuity. Like I, I just think it's so... But what if you participate playing devil's advocate? What if you participate in your own objectification? Well, I don't think she was participating in it when she was dead laying in the morgue. And the reason that I say that is fair because, and I think that this says a lot about how people saw Marilyn Monroe, she was a probably the first real example of complete and utter objectification. She was the first woman on the cover of Playboy. She was not there because she consented to it. She had photos taken of her naked when she was a struggling actress who could not afford rent. And those images were then put in Playboy and used to grow Hugh Hefner's career and his bank account. And there were these nude photos of her that she got paid 50 bucks for. That's the difference between her and Kim Kardashian, isn't it? Holly, that Kim Kardashian's self-objectification has made her a billionaire. Absolutely. And the other big difference, because I think this is a massive part of the Marilyn Monroe myth and certainly why Teenage Me was obsessed with her, is she was a tragic figure, right? So Mm. if you know anything about Marilyn Monroe, you know that she had a very difficult childhood, that her mother was mentally ill and in an institution, that Marilyn Monroe battled mental illness nearly all of her life. She had abortions, she had miscarriages, she, you know, went on to struggle with drug addiction. Had affairs with presidents. She had like mm. terrible doomed love affairs and she died young. And the dying young is a really crucial part she was 36. of this. Yes. So I think that one of the reasons there is such an obsession with Marilyn Monroe is A, it's her story is amazing. It has every kind of box tick of a tragic arc that we really connect to. But also there's something about how much we love beautiful women, but we also hate beautiful women. I remember for me when I was young and I was trying to understand the Marilyn Monroe myth, it's that classic thing of, but she had everything. I mean, and obviously she didn't. That's the point. But from the outside world, she had everything. And yet she was so unhappy. And that people like that narrative. Kim Kardashian is not that. And thank God, like, that's a great thing, right? But Mm. I think, you know, Kim Kardashian is a hustling billionaire in absolute control of her life, her image, her business, her relationships, all of those things. Whereas I think that the victimhood that we put on Marilyn and that whether or not it was true or not is part of her myth, you know, like, and I think people like it because they like to think that beautiful women are tragic and unhappy. I think it's that people don't really care that she was unhappy. I reckon that the fact that she was beautiful and, like, I wouldn't be surprised if Kim Kardashian didn't know any of that. She just knows that she was the one who sung Happy Birthday to the President and look at her hair and look at her lipstick and look how beautiful she was. It didn't matter that this woman was profoundly unhappy and people use her quotes as almost like life advice and I've always, that's always annoyed me because I thought that woman was not happy. The fact that other women find her aspirational means that we value being beautiful over being happy. And that's something well, that bothers me. Duh, yes, it's the Met Gala. <laughs> but yes, for sure. But I would also argue that I don't think I had pictures. I mean, yes, I had pictures of Marilyn Monroe on my wall because I thought she was beautiful to look at. But I was fascinated by the whole story. Yeah. And a lot of people are, right? It's not. There are lots of beautiful women in the world. But it's her story that is fascinating. So the reason I was so grossed out by the hair thing was because when Marilyn Monroe died in an extremely tragic way. And she was taken away by, I think it was like they were advertised in the paper and stuff. And they were like these two guys whose job it was to go and get famous people when they died and transport them to the morgue. And these two guys transported her and then later sold their story of what they saw. And that story was 
Marilyn Monroe was an aging woman with hairy legs who needed a manicure oh and a pedicure. God. Her dead body. And who was found in the nude. Remember that yes. Goodbye Norma Jean that song was on by the, Elton John? That was on the front page. Like you don't hear whether it's Robin Williams or famous figures. The fact that the front page oh, wow. when Marilyn Monroe died said found in the nude meant we're still titillated oh, by her when she's not breathing. how did they get her hair? All the frothing that some people were doing about Kim Kardashian should not have been allowed to wear such a sacred object, it's not in like the Metropolitan Museum or anything. It's at Ripley's Believe It or not. It was weirder. for the highest bidder. It was yeah. available so, to the highest bidder. Yes, and the reason they have it allegedly is so she's in the morgue and there have these books been written about the fact that the guy who sort of did the autopsy cut a lock of her hair and then gifted it to his wife, like oh, a trophy. Man. And parts of Marilyn Monroe's body went missing. Exactly. Like that speaks to the utter objectification of this woman. And she had no family to advocate for her estate. And she had this one guy who was like a business, sort of her agent she had type two thing. ex-husbands, didn't she? Yeah. But no one advocated for her and no one in terms of the estate has been able to say, can we please respect the dead? So now everything is just to the highest bidder. But I think, again, all of that is true, but it's also part of the myth. Like she's been so dehumanised both while she was alive and since her death. It's like the original cautionary tale, I think, for many of us when you look at celebrity culture and then you look at Princess Diana and then you look at Britney Spears and then you look like it's a lesson that we learn over and over again or do we? Do you know what I mean? Mm. Don't forget Mamma Mia subscribers get access to Mamma Mia Out Loud five days a week. And on yesterday's subscriber segment, we talk about the decline of the girl boss and the certain glee with which the internet approaches every story of a female owner, businesswoman falling. We love the fall from grace. It is everywhere at the moment. Here's a little bit of what we discussed. Now, we've spoken about the death of the girl boss phenomenon on this show before. There was all this celebration of hustle culture and all these young female entrepreneurs, particularly in the States, that started companies that were very high profile. Their businesses then either had to close or they were cancelled because of something they'd done. There was this real joy around, okay, the era of women having to hustle and the iconification of successful female entrepreneurs is over. The rise of the girl boss came at the same time as Sheryl Sandberg lean in, lean in and kind of intersected with this millennial hustle culture. To listen, head to the link in our show notes. Now it's time for best and worst. We're going to lighten the mood a little bit. We've been a bit heavy today. Holly, we'll start with your worst. Oh, look, I'd like to think we're going to lighten the mood, but I am going to talk about politics quickly for my worst. So (laughs) not very chirpy in Australia at the moment. Anyway, we're in the middle of an election campaign as discussed. My worst of the week are the gotcha questions in the press conferences that are an ongoing feature of this election more so than ever before, I think. Now, yesterday, Anthony Albanese, who has just come out of his COVID isolation and who, let's remember, in the first week of the campaign, mostly made headlines for the fact that he was asked the jobless rate. He didn't know it. 
he pulled a face, he stuck his tongue out. That was the picture that went on every front page and every news site and every everything. Then he got COVID. He's been away. Yesterday, he was back at another press conference. He was asked for the six main points of Labour's plan for the NDIS, which is a very important issue. And And that's also very specific. Very specific. And he didn't know them. This is what Albo said. Your speech later on today, you'll talk about the legacy of Labour leaders. One of those legacies is the NDIS. Yesterday, you talked about Labor's six-point plan. What are the six points? The six points are what we will do in terms was outlined by Bill Short. I can't. No, Mr Albanese, what are the other five points, Mr Albanese? We we will put people... It is all around the theme of putting people... people, Stop it. We will put people people at the centre of the NDIS. This is my point, right? The reason this is my worst, twofold. I hate this line of questioning. I hate that every press conference is now journalists just shouting like factual questions at politicians that they could, all of this is available. If they wanted to know what the six points of the NDIS were, they could find out and then they could probe on some interesting points about it. They could expand all of those things. So A, I hate the cheap journalism of the gotcha question. But B, I also hate that Albo, who I am, like, you know, probably predisposition to like, just can't get it right in these situations. And, you know, I think the Greens leader, Adam Bant, got asked one of these gotchas the other day and he just said, Google it, mate. And then he moved on pretty quickly. Like he explained what was important and he moved on pretty quickly. It is excruciating and so uninspiring from a voter perspective to see this shit playing out on the news and all over the front page. Today's front page of the Daily Telegraph in Sydney is NDIS spelled out with a picture of Albo looking confused and it's like no decent ideas, something. You know, it's just, uh, oh, the tone of the whole thing is just making me But since when did it die. become a, a memory competition of like, can you recall what the five points were? Like, it just doesn't feel like the point of an well, it's election. it's funny because my kids are studying for exams at the moment and they're like, when in your life do you need to be able to do an exam? <laughs> yeah, or a, yeah. And I'm like, when well, you are... <laughs> Running for prime trying minister. to be the prime minister. My best is the silver lining of unpacking. I talked on Monday about how we've moved house and we've moved into a really lovely house, but for a short space of time. And moving's been hell and I hate it. And I've got bruises and my back hurts and the house is in chaos. But yesterday I managed to unpack a couple of rooms and put everything where it's meant to be. And I unpack my bookcases. I put a picture up of them, which they just oh, look, they I are never that. going to look as lovely as they look this minute and there's Mm. just this brief moment in time when you've just moved somewhere and you've unpacked stuff where everything's where it's meant to be books beauty stuff kitchen stuff and in a few days it will all be trashed again but right now it's just glorious and do you feel like maybe your life will be different when I put my beauty products in a certain order and everything's clean I'm like the future's looking bright. Like, yes. I think I'm a new person now who lives like this. And I then know. three days later, you're like, oh, everything is the same. My daughter came home from school and I like showed the bookcases and I said, look at this. Isn't it glorious? Look at the organisation. And she's just like, meh. And I was like, no, this is really important. Anyway. Were you tempted to do the rainbow bookcase? No, I don't do the rainbow bookcase. I don't believe in rainbow bookcases. No, I do. Broadly, Tell Susan Carlin. She's a basic bitch. She's oh, got a no. rainbow bookcase. I broadly Love group you, them in like... Fiction, non-fiction, and then I do them in declining size. That's as much as I can do. Jesse Stevens, worst of the week. 
My worst of the week, boring one, but screw it. It's my worst. I can say what I want. Yeah, look, leg is still the worst. Oh, uh, still? I'm going away. I thought we were finished with that. I thought no. the leg was better. No, it's not. <laughs> Holly I'm... and I boarded the leg. <laughs> uh, look, what else you got? Currently, <laughs> when we're recording, it's quarter to one, and I've had about three or four people ask about the limp. Oh, um, it is just, and then it becomes like a new question, and you notice people look at you like people are always staring like is she limping and why is she limping and does she have something wrong with her so leg? what do you say because we worked out that the, the yeah. answer when you were on crutches yeah and people particularly uber drivers were asking you your answer that we suggested was netball injury yeah because no Cause one cares no one cares yeah. about it you know no one's shout out to all the out loudest who play netball oh, but there's no but follow-up there's no questions. follow-up questions because yeah. everyone knows how you do it right yeah. whereas fell yes. while walking yeah lots of follow-up uh, questions you so what do you say now yeah. about the limp it's still netball injury. People are like, oh, when was the surgery oh, or whatever? No. And I'm like, I just can't keep having this conversation. But I'm just anxious because I'm going away in like three weeks and this is a thing. It's just living with a certain amount of pain and at the end of the day I've been on my feet for two days and you should have seen my leg by the end of the day. Oh, like darling. it just puffs up, really? looks horrible. It's a good stage in recovery where you start to worry about how it looks probably. Paul doesn't like being upright for no, too long. No, no, and so it just gets really puffy and now you can I'm see gonna people Now I'm going to worry about the flight it. for you. Now I'm going to worry about the flight. Do I need to worry about that? No, you don't. I have to take injections again to help with the blood clotting situation. I will be oh, safer gosh. than everyone else on that plane. My best is I have spent the last two days being a movie star. I don't know, I've been kind of like aloof with you guys ever since. No, no. Uh, not returning now. our texts. Exactly. I'm Quiet very in the busy. group chat. I was doing an ad project thing with HelloFresh, I'm sure. What's an ad project thing? Was it a television commercial, Jesse? It's a television commercial, but it's kind of like it's got a few different dimensions to it. So it's bigger than a TV commercial. It's not bigger than a TV <laughs> commercial. It's going to be on But it's not just the, the commercial. Super Bowl, maybe. I got to work with Dylan Alcott, Australian of the Year. Oh. It's all I could refer to him as. Like even when he got there, I was like, Dylan Alcott, Australian of the Year, gold medalist. Like I just could not get over. Was he in your house? He was in my house. Oh. And it was just that moment like my mum was there, Dylan Alcott was there, <laughs> my friend since primary school works for HelloFresh, she was also there, and my sister and I kept being like, this is a weird dream. Can I just say, Anne Stevens, your mother, <laughs> in a HelloFresh ad with you, it's Nirvana. <laughs> this is actually an orgasmic job description. Exactly. How's this come to be? And then the second day was working with Maddie J, who is just the loveliest, funniest most genuine, amazing person. Oh, my God. Had so, so much fun. Mum's a movie star. I was a little offended at the end. They were like, oh, Anne Stevens is the MVP. Like she's, She is the MVP. She's an absolute And if anyone always. wants a HelloFresh voucher, <laughs> Anne Stevens is always in the Out Loudest group handing them out. She's a dealer. Has been for years. Yeah. She's a HelloFresh dealer. I love Finally she's getting some exactly. money back out of them. I'm glad. Exactly. So that was my best, doing something fun with two absolute pros and learning off them. Me, my- West? My worst of the week is also political and if you don't laugh, you'll cry. So for 18 months we've been asking Scott Morrison, the Prime Minister, to come on No Filter for an interview. Um, what are the logistics of asking the PM on your podcast? You approach his office Got and it. you say, hey, we'd like to do an interview with the Prime Minister. We've interviewed every Prime Minister for the last however many years. One year we did quite a few Prime Ministers because it seemed to turn yeah, over quite fast. And you've had Mr <laughs> Albanese on. Yes, and even before the election was called, the politicians who understand the value in connecting with 7 million women, which is how many women we reach at Mamma Mia, often approach us. We've had Josh Frydenberg, 
Scott Morrison's deputy, Tanya Plibersek, the treasurer, Tanya Plibersek. So we are very bipartisan. There's no gotcha moments. I won't be asking any tricky questions like that. We have been told, no, the Prime Minister can't do it. Okay, okay. We keep asking, keep asking. So this week I asked my producers, have we asked again this week? Because every week I check and they said yes. And I said, what did they say? They said, they said he can't because he's focusing on the election. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) He's doing Kyla Jackie O. If only women voted. I I mean, we can only dream that one day seven million women (sighs) will get the chance to vote. Oh. And then maybe Scott Morrison will make the time to come. come I love on. how they, they didn't low. think. They were like, no, oh, Mamma Mia won't know about the election. We should tell them. <laughs> oh, no. Don't Mama you know he's very busy? <laughs> this isn't the time to ask this question. Don't you realise how case, busy he is? In case you missed it, he's got it. And then I went to his Instagram because I did a post about it and there's him holding a dog. And I'm like, dogs can't vote. But and women he's got time vote. to make a shitty curry like Friday yeah. night. Come on. Anyway, Scott Morrison, respectfully, the invitation is open. You will be welcomed. We would love to talk to you in any capacity. My best is that I went on a date with a woman this week. Everything's come full circle. It's come in full circle. In light of the Sophie Keisha conversation, yeah, not surprised. I'm very I, I interviewed Sophie Keisha on No Filter this week. It's going off. She fell in love with a woman, is now engaged to one, so I thought I'd go on a date with one. No, it was a friend date and... It was like going on an actual date because I don't know this woman. I reached out to her. You reached out. Yeah. So you asked her out. Yeah. Did you you get into her DMs? Yeah, I offered to pay. She (laughs) offered to go halves and I said, no, I invited you. (laughs) It was so funny. She's obviously married and I'm married. It's not that it was always clear that this was not a sexy date, a romantic date. Were you nervous about like your makeup, your clothes? I was like, what should I wear? Should I be wearing sequins? I don't know if she's into that. Will she think I tried too hard? Why did I reach out to this person? Well, it's because no one asked me that. I just asked myself. (laughs) (laughs) I know why. You had a gap. I had a gap and I realised that I don't have any friends. I mean, you lot are fine, but I don't have any friends (laughs) that own and run businesses. And there are certain things that I would like to moan about that only other female business owners will understand. So I just reached out. I slid into a DMs and I said, let's go on a date. Your CEO Should I dating. say who it was? There's no secret. It was Kate Morris from Adore Beauty, the founder of Adore Beauty. Did she bring you any samples? She didn't. Oh, shit. She's so nice, though. I really like and her. So, um, you're dating CEOs and yeah. Jesse's new friend is Dylan Alcott and I'm feeling very What have lonely. you done this week, Holly Wainwright? <laughs> There's me and Elvia <laughs> hanging out here. Hello. Hello. Are you nervous about the follow-up? Because when I've been yeah, on now friend I'm not dates, sure how to follow up. Yeah. I was like, do I text first? Do they text first? And then I texted and she took ages and I was like, she hates me. This is worse than dating because she didn't hate my face. She hated my personality. Yeah. And um, eventually she came back. It was just, it was very, very stressful. And now we laugh. We look back on our first date. Is, do you think it'll be like that? We had a hug on the outside and on the street. Because she doesn't live sign. in Sydney. She lives in Melbourne. But, you know. After I dropped into a DMs and said, hey, can we be friends like a child? Oh. And so we had dinner. That was a month or so ago. We had dinner. And I was like, thanks for meeting me. <laughs> I felt like such a goose. <laughs> Jesse, we have a recommendation that is some fashion advice for our fashionista friend Mia. Tell Mia what boots that you and I, entirely independently of each other, have both bought the same boots this week. Holly and I are the same person because we're both Sagittariuses, which has mm. f- formally been discussed. And as everyone knows, we are the fashion influencers on this podcast. Obviously we're often we are. telling Mia what's what's in. 18 months after Chunky Boots started being in, <laughs> we're like, Mia, I think we need a Chunky Boot. Mm. And so Holly and I, independent of each other, appear to have had 
an identical experience. We went on to the iconic because we don't know where else to shop. And then we clicked on shoes, then boots. Um, and then we were like, <laughs> Is I there want a chunky subcategory. Exactly. We were like chunky, but not, not too, too chunky. chunky. <laughs> not me a chunky because we can't pull them off. Not cool enough. No. And we were like, we just want a quiet chunky boot. And we were also, because we're so good for the environment, we were like, we don't want, you know, a, a one season. A one season chunky, chunky boot. boot no. Because we don't like the idea of throwing out no. our winter wear and starting again. No, if we're getting a chunky boot, ten years, right? So we're just like we're gonna get a quality one. Can't blah, believe blah, blah. you both did this. Yes. And so what did you end up and with? And this is independent of each other. Yes. We found a Doc Martin. <laughs> Holly Wainwright and Jesse Stevens bought Doc Martins this week. <laughs> we did. <laughs> I didn't understand the sizing. So when I got it, I was like, that's three sizes too big and I've had to exchange. But lovely. It's a Doc Martin without laces, but it's like a boot. So I went and looked this up. It doesn't look anything like a Doc Martin. It looks like if a Doc Martin and an RM Williams had yes. a boot baby. Mine are vegan because I'm better than you. <laughs> yep. Are mine are black. Are yours black too, That's Holly? true. Mine are black. So the only hint of Doc Martin is their soles yes. do have that rubber Doc Martin thing and they're a little bit chunky, not chunky enough. But the thing that's so funny is I actually Googled chunky, not too chunky boots. <laughs> <laughs> and, and these boots came up and I bought and they're called the Flora. They're a Chelsea boot, if you know what a Chelsea boot is. So it's like a no laces, pull on ankle boot. And they're also a bit shiny. So that's the, the other thing that's a bit different about the Doc Martin vibe. I can't believe, Jesse and I were talking today, I can't believe we bought the same boots. Yeah, so yeah. We bought the I, same I, I won't be joining in on that. They're kind of like a <laughs> chunky boot for nervous people who don't want to commit. It's yes. so true. And people who need to still have two shoes on their feet once the chunky boot trend is out. Like we mm. still need something to wear. It's true. And they're not particularly cheap. We'll put a link to them. They're not particularly cheap because they are, as Jesse said, you know, proper hard-wearing boots. Yep. But I feel like we're going to get a lot of wear out of them, Jesse, and Mia's going to be jealous. I agree. And, in fact, I got a great piece of advice from producer Rose who said that she loves looking for Doc Martens in vintage stores that have already been broken in. So if you're like, I can't afford that, then go look into a vintage store or even Facebook Marketplace. They have lots of them and you can get them secondhand. Also, just great for the environment. That's all we've got time for today. Thank you for listening to this episode of Mama Mia Secondhand Out Loud. Secondhand shoes, that sounds disgusting. I was trying to hold it in, but I'm sorry, <laughs> oh, I can't. Yeah, I'm just, secondhand shoes. Secondhand boots. I've bought secondhand shoes before. Sorry, yeah, Holly, go on with your important Sometimes people don't bit. really wear them much. Yeah. Yuck. 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 Stop Facebook. it. Yucky. Disgusting. <laughs> no, they're like, I've only worn them once. Well, you know, give okay. them a Glen 20 spray and you're okay. fine. Okay, anyway, thank you, Out Louders, for listening to us on this slightly rambly episode of Mom Mirror Out Loud. It was produced by Emma Gillespie. The executive producers, Liza Ratliff, will be back in your ears next week. Have a great weekend. Bye. Bye. She won't stop laughing about <laughs> the secondhand boots. You know what you are? You're um, You're prissy. You think you're too good for secondhand boots. You're not a woman of the people. When you become a Mamma Mia subscriber, you get access to every podcast, exclusive videos, and all the great articles on Mamma Mia. And of course, you'll be supporting us, Australia's only women's media company, and our team of female journalists and producers. Subscriptions cost as little as $5.75 a month.